Troy Campbell is a behavioral scientist with an artistic heart who helps people design and learn amazing things to make awesome things, maybe like a theme park or a party, but also solve important things in marketing and activist issues. But there's a really important thing that we need to distinguish between what is hip, which is, can be one form of cool, right? You're trendy or something right now, right? I am trying to wear this jean shirt because it's in right now. I actually like the aesthetic, but there's a part of me that's trying to be trendy cool with this. But there's ways to be like classic cool. Now we might not use the word cool for it normally, but we, we often do, right? So for instance, if you go to a grocery store and it's this grocery store that doesn't have trendy things, but it has really, really good products. They've been the same way for 20 years and they delivered well to their local community mm-hmm. and they're different. And when other people said change, they said no, right? It would still be seen often as cool. And you would actually even use the word cool. You'd be like, oh, that, that, that place downtown, yeah, they're really cool. They've been just doing the same thing for 20 years and they're awesome. But in the greatest stories of all times, characters change in a very specific way. They change into who they were always meant to be, right? This is Luke Skywalker. This is King Arthur. This is the Monkey King. It's every single story on every single continent. Dagger on the ledge. The sharpest ideas always have a jagged edge. I'm sorry to be mean, but did you think the best ideas are going to be clean? No, you can come at me. You can test me because I've taken every idea and I've made it my bestie. I know it's difficult. I know it's dirty. I know it can get a little stressy, but like the best soccer player, the best ideas are a little messy. Hello, fellows. Welcome to the next episode of Jagged with Jasravi. Subscribe to my channel for conversations at the edge with thought leaders from the marketing, branding, and the business world. Conversations that ignite new ideas, ideas with rough, sharp edges. Hi, Troy. So nice to have you on my show. Hi, how's it going? Um, I absolutely love your slogan, rough, sharp edges, right? Um, Such a wonderful, clean uh, unclean, but clean from like a psychology perspective on a brand. It's okay. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. And and Troy, if I requested you to tweet your profile, what would you say? Uh, I'd say Troy Campbell is a behavioral scientist with an artistic heart who helps people design and learn amazing things to make awesome things, maybe like a theme park or a party, but also solve important things in marketing and activist issues. Hmm. So scientific mind and artistic heart, uh, it's quite a thing. How did you discover? Because do they have different pulls? And when they come together, it it itself is something awesome? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, my story is that I was always the science kid, but I was always more interested in people than protons and art than arithmetic. And I really actually struggled as a science student even though I was doing very well. And then I went to college and uh, I went over into the humanities. And once again, I sort of felt out of place. And then randomly, somebody told me to take an elective and they told me to take psychology. And I walked into that, uh, that class and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the language that I'm good at science. The thing that I care about people and experiences and identity and things like that. And uh, I put that all together and um, actually wrote my graduate 
Um, uh, my cover letter that got me to graduate school was Anne Ariely at Duke University and also Disney Imagineering. And it literally started with the line. I was always a science kid, but I was always interested in people and protons. And they're two incredibly different ways of thinking um, that can bring us to amazing situations. And I help help sometimes scientists think more artistically, and I help you know creatives think more uh, scientifically. And on the same side, though, I think that sometimes even when you put the things together, you can do the one thing better. So if you think of science as really having a hypothesis generation sort of component to it, if you aren't ridiculously artistic, you are missing out on hypothesis generation. And if you are over on the artsy side trying to design something creative and you don't understand the science of memory or the science of pacing, you actually aren't going to be doing the best version of the craft that you're using. Hmm. Beautifully explained. And um, I think it should be an as aspiration for humankind itself, you know, like yeah. the mind should be scientific and heart should be artistic. And just like every scientist cares, you know, like for people. Yeah. Should it be? Yeah, I, mean I think that. I think it's very hard. I don't think the system often rewards this, right? Mm -hmm. So it is, it is, you are not rewarded in most of academia for coming up with really novel, great ideas. You can't, you are rewarded for publishing things that are not jagged, right? You can't, uh, so many of my favorite ideas, um, I could never publish in an academic journal because they're, they're meta constructs. There are too many things coming together. And I think that there is so much missing in the way that we organize science. And, and uh, sometimes I think scientists understand that. Sometimes I think scientists, if they would walk over to the arts or humanities class, would be blown away at how deep that conversation is, right? Because they're gonna put like a million different theories together. They're gonna talk about idea forever. It's not just one effect. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and uh, I might get into this example, but science is obsessed with identifying specific colors Right, so it's like, here's blue color, here's red color, these phenomenons. Art is really good at both being, understanding that there are different colors, but purposely blending them together and knowing mm -hmm. sort of every shade or the jagged edges. Um, but um, just to go on it a little bit more, that being said, most people over in the arts, especially at, a, you know, at these um, you know, big universities, they aren't usually using the best science, right? They're still using Freud. <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or they, or lots of times you'll be talking to someone in the humanities who might have a really good theory and really good understanding of social injustice and very important topics, but just generally does not understand market, market influences. And so doesn't understand actually how to solve the problem or actually might misdiagnose something. And so just everybody, this, this whole idea of interdisciplinary and thought all over the place just is not occurring the way that it should in modern times and arguably in many ways is less than it used to be as students go into college because they want to get a job in coding. And they're very much financially rewarded for that and can be financially successful and be happy in life. But that doesn't mean we are producing the things that we really want out of uh, students in colleges. And also if we don't get all these things inside of businesses and uh, policy making places, we're not gonna have the best outcomes. Wow, th this is a topic in itself. Oh, I still want to go deeper into it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
um and i think we've uh, yeah you you you've talked and written a lot about cross functional teams and 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 knowledge sharing etc so perhaps that is that will be for another episode <laughs> sounds great <laughs> uh, troy uh you know since we were in college uh studying i remember uh a marketer approaching our students uh can you do a quick survey for us what's cool today you know just uh-huh. that just simple open brief find out what's cool and uh you know some of us participated i couldn't participate in it but this quest of finding what is cool uh what is the charm of of finding it and and yeah. when when you say there is a whole science behind it i mean you know this is this is something very useful to understand because a lot of times you know if it's a new category all that clients want is make it cool and and rest mm-hmm. will happen <laughs> yeah Please yeah so yeah. so yeah so let's talk about this so it's one of my favorite things to teach to help clients with and even just help people with is understanding what i call the science of cool it is largely inspired by research done by my friend Caleb Born and i've sort of ter- taken a scientific definition and taken into a scientific mind artistic art meta construct and so here let's let's just go through this and really follow right so it, it and really kind of get into every shade of this because if we're going to understand something as complicated as cool we're going to really need to play around with it and lastly i'll just say before i get into this is that one of the things that i really like doing and i think lots of people in behavioral science are doing even if they don't realize this is i am helping people better understand something you can never fully understand right so i help people better understand things that will never be fully understood and something like story something like cool even something like memory um most likely at least for 100 years will never really be fully understood but it doesn't mean that when we don't understand it better we can't do better things in our creations and understand ourselves better. So, let's talk about cool. Everybody wants their friends to look at them and say, "You're cool," right? Your parents want to look at their kids to look at them and say, "You're cool." When you go to a restaurant, you know, maybe you're a fast food restaurant and you can't be the super cool places in LA, but people Taco Bell wants you to go to it and maybe not be like, "Taco Taco Bell's the coolest thing in the world. They're like cooler than the bands that Pitchfork writes about." No. They're just it's just it's cool it's doing something different it's fun it's autonomous you can break the norm and so this scientific definition of cool is something that we can all understand and we can use to design things and we can also use to just understand the world and we can also understand why it's really hard for anything to be cool to everyone and why anything why something can't be cool continuously usually because it has to be something that is uh breaking the norm and of course there is like 7 hours we can talk about this and in 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 when i teach classes on marketing we spend almost 7 hours talking about cool to really really understand it uh, but that i think can start us to help understand what's going on here mm-hmm. but breaking the norm i mean it's it's too broad isn't it toy in common parlance when people talk about cool it's it's like uh, you know it's like trendy it's like yeah. in yeah even for people who are conventional why is mm-hmm. this aspirational even for the masses are there relative levels of cool or you know yeah so so there's so there's relative levels of cool right there's super cool there's cool there's uncool there's not cool right 
And we could talk about that. But there's a really important thing that we need to distinguish between what is hip, which is, can be one form of cool, right? You're trendy or something right now, right? I am trying to wear this jean shirt because it's in right now. I actually like the aesthetic, but there's a part of me that's trying to be trendy cool with this. But there's ways to be like classic cool. Now we might not use the word cool for it normally, but we, we often do, right? So for instance, if you go to a grocery store and it's this grocery store that doesn't have trendy things, but it has really, really good products. They've been the same way for 20 years and they delivered well to their local community mm-hmm. and they're different. And when other people said change, they said no, right? It would still be seen often as cool. And you would actually even use the word cool. You'd be like, oh, that, that, that place downtown, yeah, they're really cool. They've been just doing the same thing for 20 years and they're awesome. Right. And so there's a real difference between hip, which can be one of the ways in which you break a norm. And so one of the ways that's just really interesting about how you be cool is one way of being cool is not to to ascribe to what everybody else is being cool. It's autonomously, authentically being you and breaking a norm. And so it's really interesting how like you and we do this. I love when I'm teaching MBA classes because I'll have people who have a very classic brand who own a very classic brand and have a very new brand. I'll have like Nike people in my class. And we'll say things like, look, you're cool because you're cutting edge and you're cool because everybody today wants to get on that technology. But we believe that face-to-face is true. We've been that way for 20 years. We'll be that way for 20 more. Come down Mm -hmm. to the corner store where we treat you like family forever. Right. And there is something cool about that. Um, It's not going to reach every single audience, but it is breaking a norm in a positive way that is least going to be appealing to some audiences if they can back it up. And it's fascinating because I'll go and I'll get a feeling of coolness from going to like something that is really urban and modern and something that is really rural and rustic because they both have a norm associated with being autonomous and breaking other norms. Wow. My God, Uh, this is so original. I feel like cool. You've given dimensions to cool. You know, the personalities to cool and and, and there is an authenticity to cool. This is amazing. So so I'll add one thing that people, and and I'll give my excuse to share an exercise that we do in class. So we use a lot of lyrics. I love having people use lyrics in class to like capture an idea of cool. Like, so in, the, in one of my favorite silly moments ever, I had a CEO take the Black Eyed Peas song, take a Black Eyed Peas song and go, a closed source, uh, open source is so 3008. Closed source, you, you're so 2000 and late. We got that and he put his fist in the air. Everybody in the class was like, is he gonna put his fist in the air? Is he going to do the boom, boom, pow? And he did it. He's like, boom, boom, pow. And it was this really moment where he was like, oh, I'm this small brand going against these bigger brands, but I am really doing something modern and new. And I'm not a boring software company. I am breaking the norm. So we use a lot of lyrics in class. And uh, so I'll I'll, I'll go into this thing uh, lastly, which is that what lots of people ask me is they're like, great, Troy, that is that is great that you can dimensionalize and anybody can be cool. But what is cool today? Mm-hmm. Like there obviously has to be some zeitgeist, right? Grunginess was cool in music in the 90s. So there's some zeitgeist. 
And so here is a song or some lyrics that I wrote about it. It's going to be a little long because I want to really like fill it out. And it's you wrote based it? On, yeah. I mean, I write lyrics for my students and we write manifestos and stuff. Yeah. Um, lots of times what we do is we write manifestos and like some people will be some of the time will be like really ridiculous and they can't use them in marketing. But some of the times will be like, just take the F words out and you can put that on your website. Um, uh, and so the idea is what is cool today is um, uh, one of the words I like to use. And I know that some of the people in academia don't like this word. Just ignore what you don't like about it in academia. It's called metamodernism. And metamodernism is defined as the idea of a, like a pendulum oscillating between everything and this phrase, both comma ants. So the idea of metamodernism is the idea of everything coming together. So if you're trying to do something cool today, it's blending things. Billie Eilish is a blend of things. Every Nike sneaker now is a sports shoe that's also sustainable, that has a double collab with an athlete and an artist. And so this coming together. So oscillation, yes, and so here is the thing. And I'm not, I'm not a person who is good at rap, but I use it as the form to explain things, right? So here it goes. Do, 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 do. I got a Gucci belt with some dirty vans, an Apple watch with some thrift store bands. I'm not this or that. I'm the both comma ands. Supreme and goodwill are both my brands, sophisticated with the street culture side. So many parts of me and none I want to hide. Like others like a barrier, but I don't like a fucking wall. I want to mix in everything. Want to mix in it all. So are we a new or old? Well, you just don't know. That's the magic presto. Rocking on a meta modern man festo fuck the status quo let's go as we'll oscillate to everything but hate and go everywhere like mick fly at 88 yeah super smart then go hella dumb like back and forth on a pendulum like back and forth on a pendulum to where any good idea comes from add it all up and it's more than the sum back and forth on a pendulum back and forth on a pendulum and so that is the idea of this and what's really useful about sort of this lyric and I created it because I couldn't find like an existing rap song like some some songs by Little Nas X or Drake I could sort of like use or some songs by country music or some songs by like glass animals or stuff you could sort of it but I wanted to write something that was just very clear for my audience and then what I'll have them do is I'll say now you you edit my lyrics so when I was working for the University of Oregon they said we we're academic with a sneakerhead side, right? And we like to party and that's not a fact we're gonna hide, right? Others like a barrier, but in the woods, we don't like a fucking wall, jump in the river. We wanna mix in everything, wanna mix in it all, right? And when I give them that, that those lyrics and they spend like 30 minutes understanding it, that thing that I just, I, that I just reflected from them, they can write in five minutes. And then they sort of have a better understanding of what they are trying to really do. And then there, there's a clarity that comes through the artistic experience of that that just does not come from putting a bunch of post-it notes up on a wall um, on, uh, that you would normally do in an ideation exercise. And it can be very useful. And, and like, you know, the other things, like another group who was, um, who was like, um, kind of like a uh what i wrote it down they said um y'all think these are all bold new ways but we've been doing this stuff since the golden olden days being organic and local to you it's just a trend but the community and earth has always been our best friend 
right? And so this is like a local brand that we're working with more in like an ideation incubator locally and uh, and that, right? And so it's like this way they put the modern with their oldness and, and you can do that. And it's just mm -hmm. these amazing things that you can find. It's like a clarity inducing exercise. And right, I've seen it work for people at Nike and I've seen it work for 20 year old kids and 80 year olds. Like it's, it's, it's can be really, really useful when you go through all these shades of what this thing actually is and be okay with the fact that it is sort of, we're, we're sort of having an artistic license of the idea of cool where we're going beyond the scientific definition but being inspired by it. Wow. So, so much depth and yet so cool, you know, I mean, like you said more, uh, you know, more than uh, the sum is more than the parts and the whole mm -hmm. blending uh, ideology, because, you know, our next question is going to be about uh the themes for the future uh, that you've identified, mm -hmm. but uh, isn't this a big thing that's happening? That that this whole blending. Uh, I have to say, Troy, you are so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I think that I think you know I have my own brand of cool, and everybody has their own brand of cool, right? Mm. I I'm not as I actually have these conversations with my students all the time, where I'm like, I really like sneakers. But I'm like, I, I'll, I'll tell them, a sneaker will come out and be like, hey, you guys see that sneaker drop? And I'm like, I can't wait till a year till I can wear that. Because if I were to just put that shoe on when it's so unnormalized, I would look like such a poser, even though like I genuinely like this category. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just like this idea of just breaking this idea down that cool is just breaking the norm in a positive way, or at least in a not really negative way. Just everybody has their own version of cool. And it's what, and we want to feel it. Everybody just wants to feel autonomous. It is and an experience free. and a feeling yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, um, yeah. it's such a great approach to this, something that we've often usually like reduced to like cold hearted Instagram models as like the standard of what we think of as cool. And that's not what it, it that's not the rich experience of what it means to humanity. I think a big theme of this is what are you all about? Your authentic roots mm -hmm. and DNA and then you know the frame of reference where you want to operate and and perhaps I'm just thinking aloud and I also felt that teenagers are the coolest for a reason you know <laughs> mm -hmm. because they are breaking the norms I, I, I'm saying it must vary with generations but they're breaking the norms uh it's so easy for them you know and and pick yeah. up no yeah it's so it's so easy it's it's very easy for them so I, I talked to my kids about how it's like my students of how it's so easy to be cool when you're young um, because uh, it, you you get that youth dumb you get that youth narrative you get that youth of you can just break a norm and if you if you harm someone else you don't really harm someone else like if I don't act responsible I will harm my family <laughs> um, if they don't act responsible they might get a lower grade on a test um, and so they have an advantage yeah. um, and so, yeah, it's, it's easy, it's easy for them, but they also feel free, or at least a lot of them do feel free to be authentic and autonomous with their self. Um, and uh, that can really help um, them. And yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, okay. Okay. Troy, um, at On Your Feet, uh, your organization, mm -hmm. you've been asking your clients, Nike, Intel, PNG, about what's people's biggest and biggest current and future needs. Yeah, And th there have been six themes that have uh, come out. Yep. Would you like to share that? And what do you think that means for how we are evolving as a species? Yeah, so, I, so there's, two, there's two ways that I really work with companies. One is more what we've been talking about is like the consumer side. Like I used to be a marketing professor. This is marketing. 
Um, we're now going to move into themes that are more about the organization. So, right, what is it with inside organizations, right? It's all psychology. It's all the principles of marketing, even inside a company. Um, and uh, sidebar, if anybody is into marketing um, and is like, wow, it's really hard to work with consumers and I don't have like constant contact with my consumers. If you do marketing and communication inside a company, you have like you control or have so much control of the lanes of communication, your skills have a more, the efficiency curve is much better. Um, so just, just letting people know working inside companies is actually sometimes more fun and not as, not as boring as you think. Um, but okay, so we asked a bunch of companies, Google, Nike, um, uh, what, what, what are they missing? And so there's um, six themes. Um, it's that uh, they feel like they aren't playing enough. They feel like they can't be improving and flexible in a modern world. They need to tell story across mediums. They need behaviors to be daily inclusive, not just know that system justification, system uh, inequalities exist, or not just know confirmation bias, but actually know how to respond. They need to know how to act on their values, especially in a world that's changed and they need connection. And so I think I kind of want to jump into one of the, the deep, deeper ones or the first one, because On Your Feet is an organization really uh, formed by artists. And I really, really like that. And then they've got, they've, they've included people like me over time. And now I'm the chief scientist at them, the first chief scientist. And what I love about On Your Feet is we lead with the art and we lead with the experience. And that is, allows us to do things with companies that companies desperately need that a behavioral scientist can't come in. Or even like a company like IDEO, which I, I love so many things about IDEO, but you're not having people monologuing on a stage and putting on wrestler masks on the Nike campus. You're not, you're not doing that, but that's what they need. And so um, uh, the quick story about um, us working with Nike is, uh, so Adam Grant, uh, a researcher I like, um, so I saw a lot of his research. He said it's a lot of mine. Um, he, uh, he made a TED talk. And this TED talk was about the idea that he noticed in himself and everybody that he was feeling lethargic, that he just didn't have this sort of energy to get going. Um, and that he didn't, he couldn't just do it. Like he couldn't, and he actually mentioned Nike. And a bunch of people at Nike actually saw this video and they actually felt the same thing. They said, it really sucks that we feel like, you know, with all this change in the world, it's hard for us to just get up and just do it. It's hard to, and, and somebody even had this phrase, a designer, we've lost the comfort and even ability to be playing because they've been away from the office or it's difficult to play. Now, Nike obviously came up with lots and lots of solutions. We helped a little bit with different teams there, but it was still very hard. And so they sort of saw this video and they knew the behavioral science was important, but they needed something, they needed something more than somebody to just tell them about the problem. They needed to create deeply, highly interactive experiences to really sort of break free from the norm. And uh, as one of uh, my old bosses used to say, um, the status quo eats up small change. So what we really do when we go to companies is bring big, dramatically different experiences. And the idea is that when you're, you know, doing a cool exercise with me or you're doing a, you know, put on a mask with our improv players, you're not going to do that thing on the reg every day. But instead of instead of you thinking this is the edge of play, this is now the edge of play. And so you're, we're going to move you here. And that's one of the things that I think that we've helped. And I think it's really, really, we've, we've also really, really helped companies in the sort of virtual space 
where people just don't really understand how to use this space. Um, and uh, we find ways to make it interesting that has almost no technology other than camera and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, a science of a story. Okay, that's that's our next area. Okay, uh, cool. Th- this whole thing of our own beloved stories. I I did one uh, episode with father of branding, David Acker. And, and mm-hmm. during that, I figured that he's written an entire book about uh, signature stories. And... Uh, this whole thing of how you can normalize it in a uh, in a corporate organization, you know, the culture of stories and and uh, everything that you talk. But when we, but still, the science of it is not very clear. So, you know, when I was talking to him, I was like, from the time that you are a child, you know, you have been told stories. Your grandmother is trying to, you know, do inception with you and instill certain values. <laughs> you know? You know, so whole lofty, lofty messages that cannot be uh, otherwise conveyed are, you know, stories, the medium that's been happening. I was reflecting in my own life, you know, I felt that there was a time when I shifted cities and uh, I was, I didn't have any friends. And somehow I came across this book, Jane Eyre uh, by Charlotte Bront. And I was 10, she was 10, uh, you know, in in Mm -hmm. in the arc of the story and, and, I befriended her, you know, she uh-huh. was more real for me uh, for so many years, more than the, you know, people around. And uh, I was reflecting and I said, my God, this whole plain Jane and intelligence is everything and accomplish, uh, be accomplished, you know, all these values came into me then, you know, and I didn't realize, you know, uh, uh, how it shaped me and my choices. So what is the science behind uh a story, you know, how, uh, like you've talked about how we can make it better. And uh, of course, I mean, we, we get to the branding, but just at a human level, why is it yeah. so appealing? Yeah. So, um, so let's, uh, let's, let's kind of back one step to what you said, which is you were talking about the story you're interested in. You talked about how you related to the character and there were values and other things like that. The science of story is really, really difficult because really what makes stories amazing is A, a lot of different things depending upon the situation, and B, it's not stuff that is exclusively the science of story, right? So if we think of of story as simply just the simple way that our brain most easily processes and remembers information, which lots lots of studies would say, then it's just how the brain processes. But what makes a great story is the other types of psychology. So I can relate to this character, that the pacing is good, or this follows something that makes sense coherently, or that it's authentic, right? And so I think that one of the worst approaches to story often is that it's only like a story, story perspective, rather than it's these other things. And so what I do when I work with people is I create these story forms Um, So a story form that you're probably all familiar with is the hero's journey. I find the hero's journey incredibly large. It has like 18 steps. um, And I don't find it super, super useful um, all the time. And I think it it is, it is, um, it is absolutely useful. And, um, but it is, it is, it is large and it is constricting. And it also isn't scientific. And so what I do, like with the science of cool stuff, is I will create story forms where I I, I will say I am creating some abstraction to help you. 
And so one of my favorite story forms that I've created is something I call the destiny narrative. And I'm going to explain what that is, and then I'm going to explain how everybody can use it. And so the destiny narrative is the idea that in great stories, characters change. Right? Change is what story is all about. Some people have said that stories just change over time. But in the greatest stories of all times, characters change in a very specific way. They change into who they were always meant to be. Right? This is Luke Skywalker. This is King Arthur. This is the Monkey King. It's every single story on every single continent such that there's something that the person always was. They struggle because they do not know what that is or how to do it. And then they discover how to be that. And then there's a couple other steps, but generally that idea. And we love this story model because it combines the two things we really like in story. We need change, but we also want authenticity. So why is it that this story is important? Because it's this type of character changing into this. Sidebar, there's a lot of bad things about the destiny narrative and it has like psychological essentialism and prejudice and blah, blah, blah. We're not going to hit that, um, but we would in a long class on it. But it's so useful. So again, when you if you actually look at a bunch of all the Disney movies and you look at which one hits the destiny narrative well, usually the ones that hit the destiny narrative the best are the more successful ones versus the other ones. Um, Moana, probably one of the most beloved modern Disney movies, hits the destiny narrative really well in a meta-modern way by combining two destinies, right? So what is Moana's problem? Moana feels called to the water but she also feels like the responsibility to be the leader of her people. And so she struggles with this and she sings songs about it. But then eventually she discovers that she is descendant from a seafaring race. So her, her need is that she needs to take her people to the sea and it resolves both of her thing. And it's this wonderful way in which Disney has like taken the like simple structure and created this. And so for instance, when we, when, so that's how it works in big story, but it also works in brand story and personal story. So when a company is trying to convince a consumer to do something, hmm. or an activist is trying to convince this something to do to this, this is not the way that Disney does it. They don't say, yo, you, the Disney parks are awesome, go. And an activist that's successful doesn't be like, hey, you've always been racist, stop. No, what Disney says is, you have a Disney side. It's always been in there. And right now you're struggling and it's coming out in these weird ways. And they have this commercial mm -hmm. and it convinces you that you are in part Disney. So you need to go to the parks to be your real self. Just like makeup companies don't go, you're ugly. So, some of them do, but most of them at least combine it with, there is a goddess inside of you, right? And that can come out, right? Um, there is a fashion person inside of you and an activist. And when we, we do this, when we're in our trainings, and again, I'm explaining this in like five sentences, it's much more complicated. And there's a lot of political issues that we deal with in, in more depth than this. But we start out by saying, you know, how have you been inclusive in the past? Who is one of the people that you have seen inclusive that you consider to be one of your heroes? So now all of a sudden, this is inside of them. And so now changing no longer feels like change in that like super sense. It's just naturally becoming more of who you already are. And that is just such an effective way. And if you understand sort of this meta construct of the destiny narratives, 
almost any single time you see change working well, with a few exceptions, it is in part using this narrative structure. Also, if you look at any movie that's successful, it is in part using that structure, right? Whether it is Batman or that amazing new movie, um, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. It is, it is the same. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So, uh, so the the Joseph's camp, the hero's journey will have too many uh, steps to it. It's it's like, uh, mm -hmm. and 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 it's finding your true self. People want to be an authentic version of themselves. Most people do, right? And so we. And we want other people to usually be an authentic version of themselves, especially a character that we're going to relate with. And because of that, understanding sort of this change that destiny may be a too large a word for it, but authentically changing to be more of themselves, that is such an appealing thing to us when the story is told to us where we are the character or when we're evaluating someone else. And mm -hmm. it's not that... It's not that the hero's journey or anything like that is wrong or anything. It's just that those, lots of people have said this, the hero's journey was not written by someone who was trying to teach people how to tell stories to convince people to buy their products or not be racist. It was not written as a way to teach people how to tell stories that lasted three sentences, right? It wasn't teaching people how to tell a story that would work for every single episode of a television show. And so you need all these other models than sort of these big, huge Hollywood models, even though mine is sort of a Hollywood model, um, it, it, these, these, these constructs can be more useful. And, and, and when you can give someone something this specific, and then you can also tell them why it works, right? And so what's really cool about the destiny narrative and some of the other models that um, I teach, one's called multi-narrative storytelling and others called goal inside action, is that when I teach somebody it, they don't get it immediately right. But they can, but when you point out to them, you're like, this is what you could do better, then they get it. And so one of the things that I think is really problematic about the way marketing and behavioral science is often taught is it's not taught like an art skill or like an athletic skill. It's like taught, here is the theory, go. It's not taught, here is the theory, here is 30 different examples of it so you can see the multicolor spectrum of what this thing is to draw inspiration. And now let's practice this idea, just this idea for an hour or two, and I'm gonna make you better at it. And it's just, it's insane. I have lots of my students who come to my class and we'll spend like an entire day on the destiny narrative or an entire day on cool. And they have never or almost never, especially with something creative like this, especially with something related in this sort of sphere, spent that much time focused on getting one idea really well and had this mastery of this idea or understood what really mastery of a psychological or marketing principle really means. Right. Troy. Is, is there something about a story and, and, and what it can store inside that is uh, especially relevant today? So is there a reason why story and the science of it and, and, and what it can mean to a human being is suddenly so important, although it's been there, 
but I feel it's 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 like a code, uh, you know. It's it's yeah. it's. <laughs> is that so? Yeah. Or what you say? So, so absolutely. So um, so many people have talked about this in certain ways. Steve Jobs, in some ways, talked about this even way back in the day, where the world is getting really busy, right? And there's so many pieces of information bombarding you. Well. If you want to get through to someone, you need to be very clear and you probably want to use the way that the brain most easily processes, recognizes, attends to, and remembers information. And using story is the way to do that. And story, again, again, one of the things that I think is really important to think about story is story can be told in three to four or five sentences, right? A meme that we see on the internet of like, my great plans, my in-laws visiting this weekend. That's a story, story. right? And that, it, because a story is cause change. And so that's a story. If you want a minimalistic definition of story, it's story is cause and change and character. And, and so that is it. And if you, if you people, people hate on TikTok, like TikTok is so good because it, it's just, it's just story operationalized. And, and so like spe- the, lots of the people who are great at TikTok, the very first like three seconds is they'll show something to you. And then either that thing will pose a question or then they will pose a question immediately after. Like they'll show an avalanche. And they'll be like, why do things like this happen in your life? Let's talk about the avalanche of this. And, it, it, and it's this thing is causing me and I'm paying attention and each moment is driving the next moment. And that's how my brain can just get quote, um, as Melanie Green would call it, narratively transported mm. into it. And, and so story stands out because story is easy to process. And my huge sort of thing and why I kind of like, kind of hit harder against the hero's journey than maybe I should is that so many of the stories that we're telling right now are short that we really need to understand story as just sort of these causal relationships or these like three points, like always struggle discovery or goal insight action or question insight action or thesis statement, three examples. Like those are the, those are the types of stories that really are effective um, in normalized um, uh, spaces. Is there an emotional arc also involved? I mean, which is, I'm saying emotion because it's so uniquely human. Sorry, I'm going so deep into this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is there something ha- uniquely human? What is it so uniquely human about a story? Is, is that? Yeah, so some, some people have said that what makes humans unique is story. And story is the ability to understand events in a causal structure and understand that linearity of effect and even be able to understand it in non-linearity. Like I can think about what caused this and I can think about what will this cause, mm-hmm. right? And so lots, some people, and as a person who's not an expert on, you know, animal species comparative analysis, um, I think that certain people would have different opinions on it, but it is definitely yeah. true that one of the things that is amazing about our brain and is our ability to think about the past and the future and the relationship to each other. Now, what I think lots of people don't realize is, is that is story, right? Because if we think of like the minimalistic way that most scientists and uh, narrative theorists think of story, it's that story is just cause, character, change, right? 
its events, right? My dog, my dog has a flea on him. It's not so much a story, but my dog was bit by a flea and he yelped um, is a story, right? And, or my dog, or, or one of the greatest examples that they always use in textbooks is they show a shipwreck and they say, this image is a story because your brain knows that something caused this thing to change. And so you, since your brain understands that this event was caused by something, it is understanding there's a story here. You know, one of the things I love about a podcast called Jagged, I was, I was thinking of your thing as I was walking uh, on and I never came up with a full like, like, like your brand statement, but it would probably be something like something, something, something like a dagger on the ledge. The sharpest ideas always have a jagged edge. I'm sorry to be mean, but did you think the best ideas are going to be clean? No, you can come at me. You can test me because I've taken every idea and I've made it my bestie. I know it's difficult. I know it's dirty. I know it can get a little stressy, but like the best soccer player, the best ideas are a little messy, right? Are a little messy. And I think that understanding that understanding that for your your audience is that these the your podcast is intentionally getting people to not just repeat their ted talk so thank you for making a podcast called jagged okay oh wow that is aggressive awesome all right let's do this okay mother's best advice um uh just get up and do things Alternate profession could have been? Uh, DJ. What would you do on Mars for fun? I'll find a way to play soccer. Football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your most often used phrase. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> I thought you'd say, let's make it awesome. Okay. One thing no one knows about you. Uh, how much I really enjoy things that are uncool like really crappy rock bands, really <laughs> stupid shows and stuff like that. Um, I really enjoy that because I feel like they're more mine because I never talk about them with other people because it make me seem so uncool. <laughs> nice answer. Okay. A book you'd like to gift to all your friends. Ender's Game. And then I'd like to have a discussion about how, even though the author is a little messed up, how, how psychologically he could have made this beautiful thing. See, I heard your answer and then I, <laughs> because I wanted to know. So that's a trap. Okay. Please be careful. Uh, what <laughs> would you tell your 18 year old self? Um, that everybody who you think is really, really smart is smart, but nowhere as smart as you think they are. Yeah. Okay. What's something new happening in your life right now? Um, I recently injured myself. Uh, I used to be an acrobat. So I was doing a backflip. And I landed on uh, something really hard, and I thought the, the I thought the padding was soft, and it was a hard version. So I stuck the landing, and everybody cheered, and I walked away with a ruptured Achilles. So I have a ruptured Achilles, and I'm learning so much about how to rewalk. <laughs> and I will not shoot. Okay, that's my kind self. Okay. Not on that answer. <laughs> What's your favorite childhood memory? Uh, playing sports at my dad, the boys and girls club that my dad ran. What's your greatest joy? Um, I love doing slightly organized activities with friends, whether it's hiking, sports, uh, creative writing days, or going to a Disney park. 
<laughs> I, I couldn't get into that, the Disney-fying bit. Okay. How would you like strangers to remember you? Um, someone who is kind, but also wants you to, wants to push you to be more creative. What's a lesson that took you a long time to learn? No one cares about you. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm. Uh, what's one missed opportunity you, you, you wish you could have a second chance at, if there is any? Uh, a second chance at something? Um, if I was younger, I would have learned to play an instrument. Well. Mm. Hmm. You do play, right? I don't. My mom once walked up to me and said, while I was singing at home, Troy, it is so sad that you love music so much, yet have no talent in it whatsoever. Oh. Oh. She, she knew she knew how mean the joke was when she did it. It was I, I was very proud of her joke. I was very proud. Of uh, would you like to share your uh, online address? Any emails? How can people reach out to you? Ask any questions? Just... Yeah. Um, yeah. So just generally, if you're interested in more on uh, sort of under, if you're interested in reading my science stuff, you may have heard some of the studies of solution aversion, uh, flight from facts. Um, or you're interested in marketing, go to my website, Troy-Campbell, because I'm unfortunately not the first person who got the Troy Campbell. And then uh, if you're interested in sort of all these things around business, uh, where I'm a chief scientist, is on your feet. And our website is O-Y, as in yellow, F.com, uh, O-Y-F.com. And we have tons of resources uh, on that as well. And uh, you should, for this podcast, obviously like and subscribe, but one of my favorite things to do with podcasts in, I really like podcasts that are on the internet, uh, on YouTube, because you just, you've listened to this, you know that you have a billion friends or uh, lots of friends who, if they listen to just two minutes of this, they would get something out, right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I feel so blessed uh, to be doing this, to be meeting such wonderful uh, people as you from the moment, you know, this started, it's been sheer inspiration, you know, yeah. it's, you are in spirit, you know, you are in spirit. That is why, you know, when you speak, everything you do, your desire to give your best and more, it's, uh, you know, God bless you, <laughs> honestly. And, 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 and you can still pick up an instrument, seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do, I do have a keyboard in... Somebody recently bought me a keyboard and it's literally on the other side of the studio wall. So... Um, Maybe one day, uh, maybe this summer, I'll pick it up and start playing it after um, the school year ends. <laughs> <laughs>